Hello and welcome to the Curiosity Podcast, a show to help you thrive in your e-commerce and digital business. And now your host, Matt Edmondson. Hello and welcome to another Facebook Live broadcast with me, Matt Edmondson, and we are broadcasting live at the same time as recording our podcast. So for those of you who don't know, we have a podcast called the Curiosity E-Commerce Podcast, uh, and this season, we are in season two, we are at the same time streaming the recording uh, on Facebook Live. So the, the recordings on Facebook Live are on a different schedule to the podcast. Obviously, we get to record with guests. And the shows uh, are going to come out at some point in March. But if you're watching on Facebook Live, welcome. It is great to have you. It is great that you're here watching the video. We've got a very, very special guest today uh, as we're going to get into this whole idea of SEO for e-commerce. Uh, a, a very amazing lady, Alina Ghost, is going to join us uh, and share her infinite wisdom and knowledge, I have no doubt. And I'm going to bring... Alina onto the show in just a second. But first, before we get into that, let me take a moment to thank the sponsors of the show, because where would we be without show sponsors, right? We just wouldn't be anywhere. Uh, and this show is sponsored by the amazing Curious Digital. If you are looking for a new e-commerce platform, whether you are just starting out in business or whether you have, like me, you've got a bunch of e-commerce sites that are very well established and you're looking for something that is really going to take it to the next level then check out curious digital that's curious with a k curious.digital you can actually go to that website www.curious.digital tell them i sent you it is an amazing platform do go check it out it is the one that i use and in the last facebook live you uh, if you watch that you will know that i also talked about a new company which is being set up called lightbulb agency i say new lightbulb's been around for a while in practice it's just there's a long story which i won't bore you with but lightbulb is coming to the forefront lightbulb are also sponsoring this show if you run an e-commerce business and you need help with products you need help with fulfillment you need help with your e-commerce marketing Lightbulb are the company to check out, so make sure you do check them out. I will let you know when all of that site's live. It's coming soon. It's going to be epic. Anyway, all of that aside, the amazing show sponsors aside, let me, without further ado, introduce to you Alina. Alina, hi. You are now on screen, and I'm hoping people can actually hear you. Hi guys, hopefully you can hear me. Thank you so much, Matt, for having me on the show. No, it is fab to have you. Thanks for joining. Really appreciate you taking the time to come and share your genius and your expertise with us. It says here you have worked for nearly a decade in digital marketing. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So I've been doing search engine optimization. So most people know it as SEO for short and don't ever... Um, uh, think that it says CEO. My sister's done that before. She once told somebody oh, wow. that I was CEO of Debenhams um, when I was 24. <laughs> um, was, yeah, so good going. Yeah, yeah, well done. I wish. It's all downhill from there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so I've been an SEO for nearly 10 years and um, have had the likes of working for really big brands like Debenhams, Tesco uh, and Carpet Right. Um, at the moment, I'm SEO manager at Amara, a luxury interiors brand. But I absolutely love doing this. So 
I do host my own podcast called SEO yeah, with me. I was going to say you, you do your own podcast, right? And how, how have you, how's that gone? How, how have you found that? Yeah, it's been nearly two years. So definitely, um, wow. <laughs> wow. definitely progressed. Um, yeah. It was nice last year to get to that stage where people were actually coming to me um, to be guests rather than the other way around. But for me, actually, I don't do it for um, monetary value. I literally do it to have a bit of fun and get to know uh, people around the business and get like enthusiastic about digital marketing again. Which it's, I one pers- the, it's one of the amazing things, isn't it, about doing a podcast? This is our second season, and this is the third podcast, maybe the fourth podcast I've done over the last four or five years, and I love doing the podcast. But you are right. You do get to meet some incredible people in your industry, don't you? It's it's one of the things that they never tell you about with podcasting when you actually start. Uh, but it is one of the, the amazing things that happens as a result of doing it, as you've discovered, right? Definitely. There's so many talented people out there trying out different um, uh, experiments and doing tests constantly. So it's awesome to learn from them and then uh, not make their mistakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. No, I get that. Totally. So... Um, so you've got your own podcast. Where can people find that podcast if they wanted to go see it? Where would that be? Yeah, so I've got a website with all the show notes. So simply go to aghost.co.uk. So very hard to forget. A ghost. A- Just go. It's not a, a haunted ghost. site. It's actually your personal site. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thumbs up to that. That's brilliant. No, no, no. That's awesome. So aghost.co.uk and they can find your podcast. If people want to dig more and delve deeper into e-commerce SEO, that's fab. Should we jump into it? Should we get into this? Let's go. See where it goes. Uh, Let me pull up my notes here. So the title of this podcast is called The Three Pillars of SEO for E-Commerce. And this came out of our pre-podcast call, Alina, between you and I. You talked about three specific pillars that you need to have for good SEO for e-commerce website. Can you tell the audience briefly what those three pillars are and then we're going to get into them into a bit more detail? Yeah, sure thing. So um, I do a lot of training with startups anyway. So I think it's really helpful to understand the basics of SEO. And um, as I said, like the, the three pillars are usually technical. So making sure that your website is seen and understood by search engines, by Google, especially in in this market because Google owns over 97% of the search market. So I will be saying Google rather than search engines. Um, And the second one is usually content. So that's around creating the right content for your potential customers, for your current customers, to ensure that you understand the intent and where you get them at a particular time of their journey as well. And then in terms of the third one, that's usually link building. So that's usually the dark art, but hopefully it'll be a little bit easier for you to understand once we go through like the, the, uh, this episode. <laughs> that sounds great because like you say, link building is a bit of a dark art. I cannot tell you, it's like a few years ago. I don't seem to have it so much these days. Uh, maybe the guys at the office get and I don't get the calls so much. Maybe that's why. Um, but it used to be every other day, somebody would call me with, you know, a new way of building links, which would just take my business to the top of the tree. And I always, I always just ignored them. Um, and I'm glad I did yeah. because I think, was it a few years ago we had that penguin update from Google, which just, it didn't. Oh, there's, all that crazy. Updates. <laughs> Sorry? there's tons of updates. 
Um, and essentially, there's the rules have changed dramatically in the last five, ten years. Um, so it went from like being able to do spammy tactics on, um, let's say, like websites that you can buy and just push loads of links towards one website and that helps you rank um and at the same time you could do the same thing with keyword stuffing so you can add the same keyword so many times so imagine you offer legal advice mm. so if you mentioned legal advice about 100 times on one page you show up at the top so don't obviously do that now though don't don't do that now if oh. you're just tuning in that don't do that <laughs> exactly but um uh, apart from that also like bribing your way to the top so actually getting follow link uh, yeah so getting links from bloggers uh you have to do it in a particular way uh so that it's actually um within the google guidelines and it's still relevant to your brand well i'm looking forward to getting in this so let me just recap right you've got pillar number one which was technical seo this is all about google and what google thinks of your website right you've got content seo um and you've got your link but i'm doing that they can't see my hand <laughs> there we go but um they've got so uh link technical content and links they're the three right yeah okay so let's jump in the first one what do you mean when you say technical seo what is that yeah that's the bread and butter of the thing that probably most people shy away from because they hear the word technical and they run away because it could be quite um techie you have to be quite savvy with a website so it's about creating a website in a particular way so that search engines and their crawlers can understand the content that's on your website. Okay. So, for example, when you have, um, I don't know, a, a site that showcases a service, you can create such rubbish that it means that they can just see a blank page. So, effectively, they don't see any words on the page. They don't even know that your website exists sometimes if you do some issues there. Um, so essentially, it's about creating a website that is easily accessible, easily used by customers, and obviously understood so that it can be taken by this search engine and then surfaced at the right place at the right time for that user. Okay. So if if that's so, uh, the thing that comes to my mind straight away as you're talking is, um, you know, it was super popular a few years ago where you just had websites which very uh minimal content and a, just a massive image right with a bit of text in that image it were, the text wasn't even external to the image it was sort of was part of the image um, and so the search engines would have no chance really unless you told them what was going on of understanding what that website was about would that be a fair example yes exactly um and we see platforms like wix dare i say it that still do that where you can drag and drop elements of a page and yes they're trying to fix the issue but people who are using platforms like wix unfortunately their search like seo isn't great because search engines find it really difficult to understand that content so essentially really interesting point isn't it from the technical seo actually the platform you pick then becomes really critical for seo um i mean i don't have personally any experience with wix um so I, I wouldn't be able to join in that conversation too much. But I, I get what you're saying, that actually some of the bigger platforms do have issues when it comes to creating a page that is SEO friendly. Is, I mean, that's right. So. Yeah, so essentially, 
Um, I'd say it's more around, so like if you have WordPress, which is probably one of the most used platforms, um, you can get plugins that are just for SEO. So like helping you with sitemaps, robots, TXT file, which we'll probably go on to a little bit later on. Uh, but essentially like creating content, so like that snippet that comes up on Google search results, we ensure that there's a snappy like call to action in there. And that's also SEO because you're enticing people to click through to your site. Yeah. But essentially you can get plugins to do that. So usually it's like Yoast SEO, which is probably the most known um, to be a plugin for like a website. Uh, that uses WordPress. But then there's also e-commerce sites. And usually they're using things like Magento, for example. And that's when you use a web developer who will actually create those elements of the code on your pages. So it depends at what stage of your brand you are, really. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's the same for us. We use the KD platform I mentioned at the start of the show. And we have something called SEOmatic on that, which is brilliant and all the things that you've just mentioned, it's there in the plugin and it's and it's great. So I guess technical SEO, first first thing we've got to think about then is make sure that your platform can give you the aspects that you need. Now you've mentioned some of those things, but what are some of the things then that we need to look out for on our platform? What's a little checklist? We can go into them maybe, um, but you mentioned um, uh, robots, TXT files, some of those things. So what, what, so what are some of the things on the checklist we need to look for? Cool. Yeah. So the two fundamental files, I would say, is the robots.txt file and the sitemap. So sometimes the robots.txt file could have simply two or three lines. And what that would say is that, yes, I allow any search engine to come and have a look at my website. Um, So there are lots of examples online where you can easily um, do this. Uh, It's quite hard to explain without actually like visual. but essentially it's like using an asterisk um, and making sure that you're not blocking your website because you can use this one file to block your whole website to Google. And it's it's important to know that, right? Because Google comes along and they look at this file called robox.txt, right? And it will do what it says in that file. And if it's not configured right, then the rest of it doesn't make, is this the first thing that Google looks at? Is it the first thing that it comes to see? Yeah, so the reason these two things are fundamental is because it's the robots.txt file and it's also the sitemap um, document, which okay. the sitemap outlines every single URL that your website has. But obviously some URLs you don't actually want to be shown. So if you've got like a login section, mm-hmm. you've got a customer service section, you don't actually need to ensure that those are on the sitemap. The sitemap is there to help people understand what pages you have so that they can go, go onto those pages and crawl those pages. So understand the content that's on those pages so that then they take it in like search engines do, put it into their database so that when a user comes along and types into Google, I'm looking for this particular thing, they take this information and bring it back out into the search results so that effectively your website is now shown on page one, page two. So the critical thing then, the robots.txt and the sitemap, these are the two crucial pieces of technical SEO that we need to get our heads around. 
um, they're the top of the checklist and it and you can like you say you can google this and within inside of 10 15 minutes via i mean i'm a big youtube fan there'll be videos showing you how to set up a, these files super easy on youtube and you can quickly do them it, even if we go back to that whole yoast seo plugin mm. plugin do this for you so basically you can essentially just do a tick some buttons say yes i want this page to be shown this be indexed it'll be done for you so it depends what platform you use again yeah the platform and the plugin and there'll be something on youtube which goes into that in specific details for your site for your plugins um and of course people can always reach out to you if they've got you know if they, if they need a bit of sort of signposting but um so we've got our we've got our two points we've got our robots.txt file we've got our sitemap what else should we be thinking about? What else should be on our checklist for the uh, for the technical SEO? Well, um, I personally think that the navigation is one of the most fundamental things that is on your website. Are you essentially, about the main navigation. Yes, essentially, it helps the user to get around. So your customers to get around your website to find the content that they're looking for, to find the pages that you have, um, find out more about you because you've got that like those about us pages potentially you've got a blog and inspirational section but essentially you need to ensure that that is categorized and put well put together in the sense that you are you have a clear hierarchy you have like those categories at the top you've got the subcategories and then potentially you've got like the products underneath that so imagine it a tree um like a branch mm. so it starts off but upside down in the sense that this is the home page yeah. where does the home page go to underneath there's the subcategories etc yeah. yeah almost like a family tree isn't it these things to sort of cascade down um so when you're doing categories at the top um i know let's pick something that we're going to sell let's say we're sell selling clothing for example how would you, what sort of main categories would you choose? Would that be data-driven? Would that be um, uh, just field-driven? How would you figure out what a good way to do the navigation is? I think it depends what stage you are of your business. Mm. Uh, I think when people start out, usually they go by gut feel. Um, usually you know what customers are looking for. Uh, but essentially you could be using um, like uh, tools from Google itself, so like Keyword Planner tool to help you understand how people search for a particular thing and then use those keywords in the navigation. Uh, but essentially, um, you should be um, creating categories and subcategories by what users are doing. So it's like usability. So like going back to that whole UX factor. Um, so like what is the user experience? Are they actually clicking on the right category to find the right product? Mm -hmm. And you can actually do some studies, which can be sometimes quite cheap in the sense that you get about uh, 12 people who are your audience or your target market, and then they actually answer those questions online for you. Um, or you can do something much bigger. So when we were at Tesco's, we actually had people coming in groups to talk about the product and the categorization, how they shop. Okay. So you got people in, you asked them a whole bunch of questions. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've done that with our companies. We've got in clients, how do you use the menu? We need to understand that better. 
um, you can use programs like Hotjar now, can't you? And you can record how people use it. Um, heat maps, reporting, definitely. Yeah. Heat map really good one because that's quite easy and cheap to implement as well and essentially you can see who hovers over what areas in your navigation what is actually important but at the end of the day use your reporting if you're on google analytics surely you'll be able to see what gets clicked the most as well not only is it about having the right categories but it's around where are you positioning those categories as well so um, and I think the bottom line here, or my experience is you, you've just got to test and keep on testing, right? Yeah, and see, exactly. And just keep trying to see what happens and keep moving the goalposts and see how people respond to that. Okay, so robots, we've got sitemap, we've got navigation. What else needs to be on our technical list? So something I've mentioned actually um, is around every page having uh, a title and metadata. So like, Metadata could be like a good title that shows up in the search result and the meta description, which is like that call to action, which is like, um, we offer this service in this location, uh, shop now, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. So that's really important because that's the first portal to your world, especially if that person hasn't ever interacted with your brand before. Um, it's also yeah great way to get clicks to your site so if you're looking for that new traffic then make sure that you're optimizing them and although they're not a ranking factor they are a really good way to get people to click through to your site and actually get clients uh, for the future so you're talking about the page title which again is written in the code and this is what um am i right in saying that when you type something into google uh i don't know red dresses or something like that the title is the first thing that Google show you. And then there's a paragraph of text underneath that clickable title, isn't there? And that, yeah. where does that text come from? That comes from the meta description. Exactly. So it's not something that you see on the page when you actually visit the page. Yeah. But it is something that you see when you're on Google. It's right. that snippet, that piece of description underneath the, let's say, the title and the URL underneath that. Yeah. Okay. So we've got page title, we've got uh, meta description. Um, I'm just thinking down a typical e-commerce website, we come across um, a product title, right? So we've now got the name of the product. There has been some debate in recent years. I'm kind of curious to know where you stand. Um, do you put the product name in a H1 tag? Um, yes, we do currently. <laughs> um... I think it depends. The great SEO answer. Um, I have seen practical answer. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I have seen that the product title being as a H1, so header one, mm -hmm. which uh, contextualizes the page, which helps Google understand that this page is specifically uh, this product mm -hmm. does actually have significant impact. Um, I'd say that obviously, if you have numerous products on one page that you shouldn't be using a h1 for those it should only be when it's that sole product um so that as not to confuse google you should only ever have one h1 on a page yeah that's that's quite important actually isn't it i mean we've made that mistake in the past before and um if you just feel like you have no idea what we've just talked about a h1 tag is in the code behind the website and if you look at your website 
and you right mouse click and you click view source, um, it will show you all the code for that web page, right, which is what Google sees. And you'll find that there are these little triangular signs, the less than and greater than sign. And um, you'll find uh, between those, the letters H and the number one. Uh, and that needs to appear um, only once on your website, which is what Alina's just said. And ideally around the product name. And then after the product name, it will close that tag. So there'll be another um, less than sign, a slash, then H1, which closes that off. And you can quickly find whether you've got more than one on your page by just doing the control F thing, the control find, just type in H1 and see how many times it picks it up. Um, yeah. And um, I think just to clarify, it's her H1 per page. So not per website, but per page. Per page. And yeah. essentially, like, the reason technical SEO shied away from is because it is coding. It is a Basically, it's HTML. You're learning the basics of HTML right now, but you, it, it's essential um, for us to optimize that code in order for a search engine and a crawler or bots or spiders, so many people call it different things, to understand your website. Yeah, and this is where I'd say, actually, if you're doing e-commerce and you're serious about e-commerce, you've really got to get your head around the fact that SEO is going to be critical to your business and you've got to make sure you've got the right plugins, some really great plugins, which is going to help you deliver this stuff and deliver it well, right? I mean, that's that's fair comment and I think it, it makes a lot of sense. So we've got the product title, we've got the image. How do we, how do we help Google with our images? Is there anything that we should do there from a technical SEO point of view? Oh, yeah, there's a few things that we can do, actually, with images. Um, it's funny because Google is trying to get smarter and smarter with actually understanding or, or throwing artificial intelligence and machine learning at images to understand it better. But they're still not quite there yet. That's way um, my pay grade, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, we can add things like image alt tags. So they're also called image alternative tags for the longer term. Yeah. Um, ALT, isn't it? Alt. ALT. You'll see that some, in some of the plugins, the alt tags. Exactly. And it's a matter of adding a few words to explain what this image is about. So if it's like a cat playing with a mouse toy, literally type in cat with mouse toy. Yeah. It's, it's that easy. You could also get smarter with it. So you can actually use keywords um, to in, in that image alt tag and something that I've done in the past actually is I've worked with a brand who's quite luxury and um, weren't keen on using the word kids against children mm -hmm. so as a smart way to showcase that but not to the customers to say that actually this page is about kids toys instead of showing the customer that we added it into the image alt tag so it will be kids toys rather than children's choice so that both keywords are actually essentially on that page yeah. but something else that I wanted to mention is Google looks a lot at accessibility so accessibility for those who are hard of hearing hard of seeing etc so obviously with a tools that actually read out the content for us on like a particular website or page um, these image alt tags will also be read to these people and you'll be surprised how many people there are who do use these things. Mm -hmm. So essentially, if your image doesn't appear, that's also something. So 
if your website doesn't load for any reason, then that image alt tag also appears instead of the image. So there's but a number. They are important, aren't they, the alt tags? And to nine times out of ten, they're in the code on the page, is what you're saying. So you don't see them. Um, but uh, if you are using, um, you know, accessibility tools like your, there's tools which will read out to you the web page if you're visually impaired. Then obviously, if you've got an image and you're visually impaired, people can't see that. So the alt tags, the way you describe that image is what's read out to them. And so it's just good manners and good practice to describe actually what's on your website, right? And, and make yeah. it accessible for people. Exactly. Um, and um, something else that I was going to mention actually that um, for site speed specifically, because we're moving into this whole mobile first world where Google is looking at your mobile devices and your mobile website before it does it. Of your desktop firstly it means you need a responsive site yep. but especially because you need a speedy website you need good site speed and that could be one of the fundamentals of seo as well actually technical seo is it how fast but, it loads up yeah but essentially you need to ensure that your images load quickly and the way to do that is to ensure that they're uh, low res but high quality mm-hmm. So essentially, you can use tools like Minify to create really good imagery, but they're actually going to be low file, uh, so low sized files, which means that they're going to be like shown up like this. (laughs) No, and that's a really important point. Uh, Really important. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, we actually have it on our site where if someone comes on a mobile, if they're you know if they're on their phone and they're looking at the site. the image we show them is different to what we would show them on a desktop. So the the, the, the system goes, right, you're on a mobile, I'm going to show you this image, which is smaller, you know, fast. And actually is often a portrait image rather than a landscape image, so it's easier to see. Um, whereas on a desktop, the images might be slightly bigger, but they'll be landscape rather than portrait. And so it's just a better viewing experience as well. We found that works really well, actually. Yeah. I totally agree. Make sure you've got a responsive site. And uh, part of that basically means being um, um, aware of the fact that different elements could look differently on different devices. Yeah, you've always got to check, right? I I do coaching. I do e-commerce coaching with people. Um, I'm literally on Friday. I'm just going to drop this in here just because I can. Uh, it's my show. Um, <laughs> it's, on Friday, I'm, I'm heading off to New Zealand to go work with some amazing people over there. It's, it's brilliant. Nice. Uh, and the amount of times I sit down with clients, not just in New Zealand, but in the UK, all over the world, and say to them, have you ever bought anything off your own website through your mobile phone? Have mm. you ever tried to do that like you'd never shopped on your site before? And you'd yeah. be amazed how many people actually turn around and go, uh, no. And uh, it, it shocks me. I'm like, well, let's let's have a go. See, see what happens, shall we? Uh. Uh-huh. It's, it's amazing. Everyone's like, whoa, you know, it just, anyway, I digress. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think that's important for SEO. Make sure that it's within your processes to actually be checking your mobile first. As I mentioned before, Google looks at your mobile uh, website first before it does your desktop. So actually mobile is more important. How are you sh- showcasing your content? Do people want to read chunks and chunks of content before they get to your services or your product probably not so have a think about how you're actually portraying yeah, yeah. lay them out so 
Technical wise, I mean, is there anything else that we want to touch on? Because I'm aware of time and I know we've got a lot to cover, right? Plenty. Uh, <laughs> so we've got. Uh, sorry. We can go into JavaScript as well if you like. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe in another show. And maybe I'll yeah. get Sam, my friend from uh, the office, to come and do that show because I haven't got a clue when it. Well, I have, but not, not as much as he has. Um, so, so, yeah, so we've got. Um, one of the questions we've got here, actually, just going back to the sitemap uh, statement. So we've got our robots.txts, we've got our sitemaps, we've got title tags, we've got meta descriptions, we've got products in H1 tags, and we put alt tags on our images. But just back up to the sitemap stuff. Um, have you got any setup tips for how to do that well? It's one of the questions that we do get asked from people. How do I do that well? Or is that just something you would say, again, just head on over to YouTube. There's good stuff there uh, i think it's a mix like obviously you can see the basics on youtube and essentially that's about showing the url mm -hmm. but you can optimize that as well so not only are you showing the url you can give google a priority number so it's between naught and one one being the most important and usually one is the home page mm -hmm. so basically home page gets one but then other content so you can choose whether it's 0.8 and for example, this gives you the opportunity to say how often you might be changing a particular page. Or if you're not at all, like an inspirational content piece, mm. that could be like a 0.2, 0.3, because Google will only need to see it once or twice a month to ensure that that content is still there and then pull it through to the user when it needs to. Yeah. But essentially, that's a way of you showcasing the hierarchy again, but in a different method not just using the navigation yeah and it's yep. better if you do that rather than google trying to figure it out but you tell google what you think is important at the end of the day google only has a certain capacity to be on your website mm -hmm. so think about seo as a way to help google to get their information quickly um without actually wasting their time mm -hmm. uh, so that they can do the, their job get out and actually have the information but you are helping them as much as you can yeah and that's a good top tip. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Uh, but essentially, the other thing I'd mention is, especially if you're a global brand, so you're across territories, mm. I think it's really important to actually include uh, hreflang information. So essentially, you're adding information about the territory within um, the sitemap as well. So you're basically saying that this page is in this country uh, it's in this language so that you're helping them to actually understand that and surface it in the right territory. Okay, so if you were doing a site that was in multiple territories, would you have multiple pages of the same product but in different language sets for each of those territories and reference that in the sitemap? Exactly. So you'll have different sitemaps mm -hmm. for different territories that are connected by one sitemap. Okay, so each territory has its own sitemap. Yeah. Okay. That's... You um you can also have uh, different sitemaps for like your imagery, imagery, videos, or different parts of the website. So, for example, um, if you have an inspirational section, you can have that in a separate page. But that depends how big your your website is. Okay. And so, if you've got quite a large website, would you? you would separate out the sitemap for the products, the sitemap for the blog, the sitemap. Exactly. Is that right? Yeah. 
Okay. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And again, you would you would categorize the content in those sitemaps on based on how likely you are to change that content in the next month. So. Yeah, so you can get smart with it. Once again, make sure that there's a hierarchy, just giving them some tips saying, well, this is updated daily, especially if you're on a news magazine website, you want them to come every day. Yeah. You need to make sure the priority is very high. Okay. So I feel like we could carry on talking about this all night, but I, I'm aware <laughs> of time and uh, we haven't got all night. Um, <laughs> so let's, uh, let's move on. From, uh, that's all some really great stuff there. So let's move on from the technical side of things and let's talk about the content pillar that you talked about. So we've done a fair bit on the technical SEO. There's some really good basic stuff you can get your head into and work around that. What is What do you mean when you say content pillar? What, what's that? Why, why should we care? Um, essentially, um, it can start off with contextualizing your pages so that Google can understand what you are even offering. Are you offering service? Are you offering products? Are you offering inspirational content or like magazine style content? All you do that is with words. Mm. So essentially the first search engine was called Archie. And the way that websites used to rank was um, where you would add um, a certain capacity of keywords. So I've mentioned keywords nothing before, mm. but that's how the essence of a search engine started. It was how many keywords were on that page so that they would rank for that keyword when somebody searched for it. <laughs> and essentially, it's the same thing, but being a lot more natural with it. So instead of trying to bombard one page with a particular keyword, it's about actually understanding that Google is now very smart. It uses um, natural language understanding, so artificial intelligence, machine learning, etc to understand conversational content. Mm -hmm. So um, I've dug deep very quickly. I just realized that. But it's essentially about creating content to match a user's intent very quickly and very easily so that Google can basically show you at the right place at the right time. Okay. So the, the, the I think what I'm hearing you say here is, one, don't try and outsmart Google with you know, old strategies like keyword stuff, and Google is way smarter than you. Just deal with it, right? Yeah. <laughs> play, by, play by the rules is usually the best policy. Um, yeah. But when you're talking about this content, then and be and, and creating that sort of content, let's specifically, for example, let's say uh, let's go back to the site, and I'm selling dresses or you know clothing or whatever it is that I'm selling. Um, Jewelry is a popular one, isn't it, at the moment? Um. What sort of things would you be looking to do if that was your website? What sort of content from an SEO point of view would you be looking at, practically speaking? Um, so usually how I teach the startups, it's about um, figuring out the search intent. Mm. So there are four different types. Usually it's navigational. Yep. Like you can go onto Google and actually like if I'm looking for a dress, I'll be like, okay. I mean, ASOS red dress, yeah. for example. I know exactly where I'm going. I know the exact brand. I'm, I, I just want a simple way to get into that page yeah. without going through the ASOS homepage. That's navigation. Yeah. Uh, then there's informational. So like how to, how to cook something, um, how to make something. Um, what is this? Yeah. So that's information. 
Then there's around um, actually purchase intent. So actually wanting to buy something, knowing a brand, um, but maybe you're just looking around as well. So it's just, it's around like um, buy, buy now. Yeah. Be another example. Um, and so what was it informational, navigational, uh, purchase? Um, put me on the spot here. <laughs> well, oh, discovery. I, I want to say it's just like it's essentially you're not quite sure what you're looking for. Mm. So um, you could be you could start with something really generic, just like uh, a dress. <laughs> But I don't actually know the brand. I don't know the color. I don't know the style that I'm looking for. So you're basically Google is offering you because of that personalization. Um, it could offer you anything. So it could be because you've browsed something previously and knows that you like a particular brand, mm. um, or it could just show you something because of PPC, so pay per click. Um, and adverts and things like that. So essentially what you want to try and do when it comes to content is understand the keywords that are people are searching for your brand and where in those buckets, those pools of search intent, do they actually sit? Okay. So for example, um, are there any services or products that you sell that have a purchase intent? Do people have that? If that's the case, make sure that it's like in the product pages, make sure it's in the service pages so that people can find your pages when they need to. Mm. So, yeah, there's apart from that, I guess it's about um, going and actually using that information for a complete content strategy. So like understanding where in that search journey can you get that that user with your content? So, for example, if you know that somebody takes six months to research a particular sofa <laughs> to before they buy it, then you Sounds need to ensure right. that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then you need to make sure you've got a buying guide for it. You need to make sure like how to um, find like what types of sofa are there? There's a corner sofa, there's normal sofa, et cetera. So, <laughs> normal. Um, but yeah, it's essentially about understanding, A, how people are um, searching for something using the particular keyword, mm -hmm. and B, um, understanding the intent of that keyword as well. So not just adding anything willy-nilly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I understand the intent side of things. I, I mean, I liked your four buckets there. They were... They were great. So just remind me what those four buckets are. We've got purchase. Um, navigational. Navigational. Inspiration. Inspiration. Discoverability. So we've got those four buckets. Um, and so it's putting content on your site that connects with each of those buckets and understanding uh, how, how the user is going to connect with those. I get that. Um, so practically, does that mean things like um, blogs, for example, like content marketing with a blog and, and putting stuff on there like your couch idea, how to choose the perfect couch for your front room? Um, you know, six questions you need to ask yourself before buying any couch. Yeah, yeah. Is that, is that, is that, is that on the right track? Am I, am I getting this right? 
Yeah, I think so. Um, most blogs are in, informational uh, slash inspirational. Mm-hmm. So basically it's about um, getting people to think more about um, a product or, or a service or a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of blogs obviously are, have like affiliate links. So basically where they sell the product. So sometimes um, it's about reviewing a product and obviously they do it from that angle. Um, but in terms of like informational, mm. it's about um, using the tools. So I've, I've already mentioned one in terms of like the keyword planner tool. Um, that's a Google tool that's free that you can use and sign up to. So if you just go to Google and type in keyword planner, that'll come up, won't it? Yes, exactly. There's uh, Google Trends. So you, you can actually see the seasonality of some keywords or some products that you might actually want to be selling or using the keyword for. Um, and then you can use something like Answer the Public, uh, one of my favorite tools, and essentially it gives you loads and loads of questions around a particular topic. So if you type, so um, I've got a huge white German Shepherd at home. Casper. <laughs> so Casper, the friendly ghost. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I basically can type in German Shepherd dog into uh, answer the public and come up and see all of these questions that come up that say everything that's relevant to German Shepherd dogs, so how to clean them, how to train them, mm. um, anything that people have typed in into Google, there would be lists and lists worth of questions. So that could be a way to create a content strategy for that inspirational, informational section specifically. I'm with you. So you go to answer the public. Is it .com, .co.uk? I'm pretty sure it's .com. But just Google answer the public, it'll come up. So you go to answer the public, you put in your topic, German Shepherd, Casper the Friendly Ghost, and then you'll see a whole list of questions and you can use those questions to go, actually, we could do content around those questions. So when people type them into Google, hopefully Google throw us onto the search engine results and people because it's the title of the the post or whatever is the same title as the question that you've typed in you know you, there's a high chance you're going to click through and read it mm. and i think that's a great tactic especially if you're just starting out yeah because like if you're a massive brand you don't often have to work so hard dare i say it um in order to optimize every single page so that you show up mm. and the reason for that is because people already trust you people already trust your brand People know what kind of products you sell. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, if you're niche, if you're quite a small brand, you need to go for the, those long tail keywords. So long tail keywords are three words or over. Mm-hmm. So three keywords together. For example, uh, red velvet cushion, <laughs> um, rather than just like a cushion. Yeah. So you have more opportunity because it's less competitive because um, you, let's say, optimize for that particular page more. There's less search volume. So in terms of like people searching for it, there may be less people actually, less traffic coming to your site. Mm-hmm. But I found personally that actually the conversion rate is so much higher okay. because people know exactly what they're looking for. Uh, as much as 10% higher conversion rate. That's massive, right? That's massive. So actually, so, by by optimizing your page for the long tail keywords, red velvet cushion, um, you're more likely to get traffic from Google 
than if you just do cushion. And actually the traffic that's coming to your site is more likely to convert because they've typed in red velvet cushion. And so giving them exactly what they're looking for rather than them having to come to your website and then try and find the red velvet cushion, right? So you're, yeah. you're marrying that up, which is great. Now, if I, if I go to my e-commerce site, right, and I've got my red velvet cushion and I've got my product page and I've got some pictures and I've got the title and the price and the mini description, well, um, but let's say I've also got some posts that I want to do around um, how, you know, how to lay out the cushions on your couch so it looks like, you know, a lifestyle magazine every time. Also, I don't know, do you know what I mean? Those kind of things or um, the best color combinations to go with your red velvet cushions or, um, you know, there's there's all these ideas that you could do around it that maybe you've got from, you know, uh, answer the public. Do I put that content on the product page or do I do a blog post around each of those questions and link those to the product page and the product page to those blog posts? Do you, do you see the difference in the question? Yeah, I recommend that it's a separate page. And the reason I say that is because you might want to use it more than once. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you might have lots of cushions. So if you're doing lots of um, the same content, so imagine you literally copy and paste your content. That's what I'm imagining now. On every single product page mm. that's very naughty and basically google doesn't like that either <laughs> yep. so never uh, duplicate any content make sure that there's unique content on every single page so essentially having a separate page for this buying guide mm -hmm. and then linking from all of your product pages to this separate page yep. would be the ideal scenario but make sure that there's always a way back for them to shop Back to where, so this is where your breadcrumb trails come in. This is, you know, your browsing history and all that sort of stuff. So that's an important point. Let me just re-emphasize that and maybe uh, frame it in Matt's language. Just make sure I've got this. <laughs> it is better to have a page, a single page with your buying guide and link from 100 products to that buying guide than it is to copy the content from that buying guide onto the 100 product pages. Yeah. Is that have I have I summarized that correctly? Perfect. <laughs> Brilliant. Awesome. Okay, so we've got our technical SEO, we've got our content SEO. What are some of the I mean some of the have you got any more tips on how to create good quality content? So you've given us some look at Google Trends, look at Google Keyword Planner, look at Answer the Public. Have you got any other Yeah, so I'm going to cheat in this one because this one is a mix of content and tech. Um, and Two I think it's... the price of one. It's not cheating. Exactly. It's all about how you sell it, Alina. It's all about... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but essentially, it's about um, having... You've got the right content. Mm -hmm. And it's going back to, like, why don't we optimize it and make it as easy as possible for Google to understand that content? So what you do is actually use schema markup. Okay. So if you go to schema.org, um, essentially it's got loads and loads of, um, dare I say it, coding so that you can mark up your page in a particular way to showcase Google the content that you, and the information that you have on the page. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Firstly, product pages. You have things like price. You have things whether they're in stock, out of stock. You've got their information. Um, obviously the title and things like that. Essentially, you use that schema markup 
to show Google exactly that. So what is the price? Then you use a particular wording and coding to um, showcase that price. You do the same with the descriptions. You do the same with the out of stock, in stock. Essentially, what that does is in a technical way, it formats your content so that Google can understand it and showcase it in the search results so that people, when they're looking for a particular product, your price will actually come up on Google as well. And you'll be able to see whether it's in stock or out of stock. So you'll get less bounce rate, for example. Yeah. So it's just clever ways of understanding. And it doesn't stop there. I guess the other way is actually about having instant answers. So the position zero where you have a search result. So on Google, you can see a snippet that's larger than all the other snippets. Yeah, you can. Yep. And it answers usually a question. Yeah. So usually you can use schema markup to encourage to be at that top section. Okay. You get more share of voice yeah. on Google by doing that. So those, so those, those large snippets come from the schema content in your website. And, and if, you, if you just Google how to do that, you can add that and hopefully Google picks that up, gets you to the top of the page one. Yeah, sometimes it can be as easy as putting in a list. So if you've got, um, so like step one, step two, step three, okay. yep. sometimes it's just a matter of adding, um, so like encoding world, world it's like a L within like all square bracket. Um, and it's essentially just something as easy as that, like implementing simple tech changes that actually might make a big difference. Wow. Okay. So. That was the two for the price of one. Check out schema, S-C-H-E-M-A dot org. Uh, yeah. There's all kinds of top tips there again. And again, that's going to come down to the platform you use, but it is worth doing that and doing that right because you're right. You're in effect putting your website in Google's language so Google can understand that your website an awful lot easier, which is super important for e-commerce, right? Because, you know, we've all got price tags. We've all got... You know, and if we've all got different names for it, Google doesn't know which way it's coming. So using schema, I think, is is a no brainer. OK. Yeah. So in the last few minutes of the show, let's <laughs> let's talk about the dark arts of linking um, and why I should ignore perhaps the guy that calls me every two minutes to tell me, you know, he can do a great linking strategy for me. Yeah. At the end of the day, you can get really great in quotation marks linking, uh, which you pay for. Mm. Actually, like um, you can get 100 links in one day and you will probably rank for, let's say, a day, maybe an hour on page one of a really good term. <laughs> and in some industries, people still unfortunately do it. So, for example, gambling, the really competitive industry. Mm. So don't be fooled. People do still do it. And sometimes there is a use for it. There <laughs> I say it. But when you're starting out, it's about having credible and relevant a link and how to do that essentially you should be able to um, create guest posts so actually going to other websites and offering them up offering up good content in return for a good link and it's not just about um, getting that follow link um, it's about actually having it being relevant and so that 
because you might be able to get traffic and referrals from them. So, for example, um, you might put your expertise. So, let's say I go to your website and I say, okay, I've got all these tips for SEO. Yeah. If you put my quotes on your website and then link back to me, then that's great for me because they are digital marketing websites and I might get client or potential customer come through that link to my website because of that. Not just about that link authority. Sometimes Google basically, so when I mentioned about like that first search engine, not only there were two things that it used. First was the the, um, keywords, the amount of keywords. And the second was the amount of references that you got because it started off as a university document sharing platform. (laughs) So essentially, um, the things that ranked at the top was the keywords that they used and the references that they got. So the links were the references. And before Google even existed, how people used to find content is through the links from other websites. Mm -hmm. They'd go onto their friend's website, they link to someone else, they'd find the, the next website and so on, etc. Yeah, you'd follow the rabbit trail, wouldn't you? See, see yeah. yeah. And now, essentially, it's around being smarter than that. You, you need, um, if you're growing business, you need press links. So you can go onto things like Haro, which is help a reporter out, um, where you will actually get a few emails a day asking you for quotes and content or data. And if you actually give that to them, they're likely to link back to your website because of it. Uh, okay. So that's H-A-R-O, Haro. Yes. Help so it's about... It out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Or there's like response, a response source, I believe, but that's a paid one. <laughs> um, so it's essentially about helping journalists and press um, and they will essentially reference you. So you're creating that whole credibility around your brand and authority, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. And it's not just about bribing your way to the top. So, for example, there's a time and a place for using bloggers. For example, we went through a stage a few years ago, maybe more than a few years ago, where you would give bloggers products and services yeah. in return for the links but now you'd use it for different purposes for example uh you'd want an awareness piece you want brand awareness you want that traffic so if you get good traffic from bloggers that's exactly what you want um also actually having reviews about your products and services Mm -hmm. still does really well so reviews but away from your site so people reviewing your products and services externally exactly So it's not always about the link. And actually, when you're a local business, um, it's been suggested time and time again that even um, no follow links. So there's two types of links, which I'll get onto in a second, um, actually mean a lot Mm. to that business, especially if you're local. So um, to explain the follow and no follow links, so Google at some point came out with some guidelines and said that actually – if you get paid for this particular link or if you are given a product for this particular link, it should be a no-follow link. So it's something, piece of coding that you add onto your website to that link yeah. that says do not follow this. And the reason for that is because it does not 
passed any page rank to that website. Okay. Essentially, it's a way of Google ensuring that people can't manipulate the search results. They're crazy, aren't they, Google? Oh, yeah. They're crazy. Exactly. And essentially, if a Google, uh, a blogger, <laughs> a Googler, okay. if a blogger um, <laughs> doesn't um, conform to these practices, mm. they'll be taken off Google themselves. Oh, so it's a real strict kind of... Yeah. Okay. So obviously, firstly, it's a legal requirement to make sure that advertisements are shown mm-hmm. on your website. So, for example, if you use an affiliate link or if you've been paid for a link, yeah. Uh, Sponsored post, basically, you need to make sure that it says sponsored. Yeah, that's a day guidelines in general. Mm. Um, but then Google says, obviously, if you do that, then it has to be a no follow link. But what I'm saying is that even if you're in a local business, um, even those no follow links do mean a lot to you and your brand to create that brand authority, credibility. Um, essentially, yeah, I've mentioned like guest posting. I've mentioned the fact that you can do press. So if you've got really great data and um, you you don't mind actually sharing that data, why not actually go to like a magazine online press and tell them, okay, well, did you know that there's like this part of the UK absolutely loves this service, whereas this part of the UK likes this other service, you know, so it's like yeah. a comparison or something different about being smart with what you have. But then there's other brands that actually go out to find this data by doing surveys and actually questioning them. It just depends how big your customer base is. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so if you were starting out, um, you know, this whole, and someone says, oh, you need to start building some links, you know, you're starting out, you've never done it before. Um, you've told us about help a reporter out. Um, how would you, I mean, this is a third of your SEO strategy is link building, right? So it's an important part. What would you, what would be your sort of first steps that you would do to, to build that well, if that makes sense? Um, if you've not got the 100,000 customers on your email list, you know, you've literally got 10 um, and you're just starting out and you're trying to build that. Uh, in that case, I'd say st- stick to it being twofold. So firstly, creating content that you can share mm-hmm. uh, on your website. So for example, create a blog post with other contributors. So for example, um, get, um, I don't know, an example would be uh, digital marketing experts. Let's say there's five digital marketing experts with five quotes. And therefore, I'm going to add them onto this piece of content and then it's going to be all about digital marketing, right? So now you've got five people who all have different followings Mm -hmm. and who are likely to share your content on their social media, who are likely to put you on their website to actually uh, showcase and amplify this piece of content. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, actually it builds links to your website. And not only that, but it also gives you new customers new potential customers that come on the website. So you and then by collaborating. Yes, exactly. Get getting contributors in, getting that authority from others yeah. in order to put your um uh opinion onto things as well, I guess. Okay. 
And then the second thing I would say would be the other way around. Actually, this is time consuming, but it's essentially about creating content for other people's websites so that they can link back to you. So it's about you providing quotes. It's about you providing data. It's about you providing um, content that people don't mind sharing. So, for example, we went through another phase of like infographics, which is basically putting together imagery of information in a visual way. Mm-hmm. And actually, people still do that. And sometimes it works. It's around being relevant. It's about not just putting out content willy nilly, mm-hmm. it's around actually putting out content that is relevant to you and your audience as well. As I've mentioned, there has to be a reason why the other person's going to share it, right? And if it's just you talking about your product, well, why would yeah. they share that? No one cares. I mean, they genuinely don't care. Sorry, I must, I must explain for the listeners outside of the UK. Willy nilly <laughs> <laughs> is a phrase that we use here. Uh, it's very, very colloquial English, and so um, you can use that to your heart's content. Willy nilly. Uh. <laughs> quite funny because um me being russian but using very english words yeah. is very, uh confusing <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah why if you're using words like willy-nilly you're english it's just the way it is um you know it's it's uh <laughs> got it <laughs> it's great so um so collaboration and putting content out there that is uh you know that is helpful for people to share that adds value to their audience and so that they don't mind sharing it some of the top tips there i mean to be coming back to the we started off the show by talking about the podcast and how you meet some really extraordinary people doing the podcast one of the benefits of doing the podcast um has been whenever we do a podcast with a guest um the guest not all the time, and no pressure, Alina. Uh, <laughs> but not all the time. The guests quite often will share that podcast with their audience, right? So not only do I get to meet some great people like yourself, some experts, SEO, I get to learn stuff. We put together these shows, and they're great shows. But then quite often they'll go and share that content with their audience because they enjoy the podcast, they enjoy the experience, they enjoy the conversation, being part of something. Um, and actually. I found it's a really great way to build your audience and build your network. So um, if your e-commerce site could benefit from podcasting uh, and having guests on your show from your industry, why would you not do it? It just it makes a lot of sense to me. And people are more than happy to come on your show, talk to you for an hour, answer your questions. And then if it's good, they'll share it with their, their audience. It seems to be the most uh, easiest content uh, marketing that I've ever done the podcast. I, I I should write a book about it one day, maybe. Um, uh, but yeah, it's been fascinating. It has been absolutely fascinating. Listen, Alina, I'm uh, aware of time, and I want to be respectful of your time. I really appreciate you coming onto the show uh, and sharing your wisdom. I have got a lot out of this, let me tell you. And I've been around <laughs> e-commerce for a long time, I, I, a genuinely a long time, and I've I've learned some stuff. I've got some questions for the team tomorrow. Uh, which I want, I, want to know, I want to know what's going on, uh, which is great. They're all down in my notes. Uh, whenever I switch to just this view here where they just see you, it's normally because I'm writing notes in my notebook 
voice <laughs> drinking my water. Anyway, um, how do people get hold of you, Alina, if they want to reach out and connect to you? How do they do that? How do they connect with the ghost? Yeah, no, I love that. Um, there's a few ways, obviously, LinkedIn, um, if you want to be professional, if you want to be more casual, then go on to Twitter. Um, I can be found at Mrs. Alina Ghost, uh, or you can email me using SEO with Mrs. Ghost at gmail.com. So essentially, like, um, tune in. Thank you so, so much, Matt, for having me on the show. It's been, oh, it's absolutely- been great. It's been lovely. And again, just to mention, you do have a podcast. Is that podcast on iTunes? Yeah, iTunes, Spotify, you name it. Places. And the name of the podcast is? SEO with Mrs. Ghost. SEO with Mrs. Ghost. I like it. I like it a lot. Listen, <laughs> Alina, uh, just hold fire a second. I'm going to close out the show. I'm going to come back and talk to you. But um, thank you so, so much. It's been absolutely fantastic. Big thumbs up. Thanks. Well, I hope you got a lot out of that. That was fantastic, wasn't it? Alina sharing her experience, her SEO wisdom and knowledge. And if you got something out of that, make sure you connect with Alina on Twitter or on LinkedIn uh, or by email, which she gave you. We'll put all those details in the show notes if you want to reach out to her. And just reach out and say, hey, thanks for that. That was super valuable content. Really helped me out. We all uh, can do with saying thanks a little bit more. So make sure you connect with her. It's awesome. And make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts on Stitcher, on iTunes. Uh, And if you get a chance, I'd really appreciate you taking the time to give us a review as it helps us get the word out. And people, you know, we get to share with more people and help more people out, which is always, always fantastic. And if you haven't yet seen uh, the Facebook live videos, you can now check the podcast out on videos. You can watch them online, too. We'll be posting them on YouTube. And like I say, we record these podcasts live, um, but broadcasting live on Facebook at the same time. So if you do get the chance, make sure you connect with me, Matt Edmondson, on Facebook. Sign up for the notifications. And whenever we do a Facebook Live, they are on there. You can come, you can join in. You can write your comments and your questions. So if there's a specific guest, like with Alina State, you can write in your questions as she's talking. And at the end of the recording, uh, when I go back, uh, those of you that ask questions can get them answered by the podcast guest. I mean, that's just mind-boggling, right? So make sure you do check out the Facebook Lives. They are worth getting involved with. I will be back again tomorrow, actually. We have yet another podcast recording tomorrow. We're trying to cram in a few. Tomorrow's show is going to be epic, so make sure you join in for that. Details are coming soon. They will be on the Facebook page uh, probably tomorrow morning, UK time. So make sure you join us for that. All that's left for me to say is thanks again to Alina and thank you for watching. I hope your e-commerce businesses are starting to do that wherever you are around the world. It's been great to connect with you and I will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Curiosity Podcast. You can subscribe or you can also join us on Facebook Live. See you next time.